Trigger warning. This episode contains adult content and may be distressing for some listeners. Pride Across the Ages is a collaborative project to amplify and celebrate the voices of LGBTIQA living in central Victoria. All episodes were recorded on Jar Jar land and respectfully recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. My name is Sarah. I was born in Sydney in Australia in 1985. I am queer and pansexual and my pronouns are she, her, they, them. My childhood was very suburban. I grew up in middle-class white suburban Canberra and my parents were together, although not particularly happy and It was very privileged in the sense that I grew up in the same house for my whole childhood from when I was six to when I was 18. And I know a lot of people don't have that. So in some respects, I had a strong sense of place and connection to place, actually, and a really strong connection to the natural world, a really strong connection to the plants and the trees where I was growing up. And so I spent a lot of time down the creek and hanging out with the environment when I was about 10 to 12. We had the Endangered Species Club. So that was cute. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And when I look back, I feel like, I know there's nothing normal, but it just looks like a very normal like nothing to write home about childhood. I was pretty happy, outgoing kid. I was also undiagnosed ADHD. So when I look back now, I recognize a lot of the struggles that I had, the learning disabilities and the relationships I had with teachers were because of that. And there's actually a lot to reflect on now that I've been diagnosed as ADHD and how that impacted me as a child. The gender roles around me were played out very heteronormative. My dad worked full time. He was in the defense force. He didn't cook. He's a good, really good man. Like he provided for the family and my mum was a stay-at-home mum for the most part of our life. And she did all of the housework, all of the cleaning, all of the raising of us in the tricky parts, like the bringing down of the, the boundaries. And my dad just did the fun things. And whenever we had to ask a question, I'd go to my dad and be like, dad, can I go play in the mud? Ask your mother. She was the maker of the rules. Nowhere in my childhood or in my adolescence, to be honest, did I have any differences in gender exemplified to me. I didn't see any examples of any differentiation in gender or in sexuality. I had a very heteronormative childhood and all of the examples of people in my life were heteronormative as well. So I guess that felt to me like that was what was normal and I didn't question it. I didn't seek anything different. Yeah. And that felt to me just normal. That's the way it was. I didn't know anything about the LGBTQIA plus community as a child or as, as an adolescent. As an adolescent, I drank a lot and partied a lot. And I think I used drugs and alcohol as a way to explore and express. And if I look back now, I think I look at it as an opportunity. Like I used to make out with my girlfriends and, but only when we were ever drunk and then we would never talk about it. And I look back now and I recognize that 
I was using those as a way to express myself. I had this desire inside of myself to to express and to be promiscuous and to explore. And I didn't know that was allowed. But when everyone was drunk, everything's allowed. And we don't remember anything the next day. And so I feel that was the first inklings of my explorations but it wasn't until much later that I started actually exploring queerness within myself and having relationships with people of the same sex as me. When did I find the LGBTQIA community? I feel like I'm still finding it and I'm still finding it within myself and It's interesting because when I was preparing to come on this podcast and I was thinking about my sexual orientation and the fact that I identify as pansexual and realized no one ever in my life has ever asked me what my sexuality is. And I don't know if that's because that's rude and we don't do that or if it's because I'm assumed hetero. I've had a lot more hetero relationships than I have same sex or different genders. And so I felt, yeah, I feel some sadness around that and I feel some like interesting feelings inside of myself with a sense of not being queer enough and where do I fit in? And I was looking at that and it's good though, to look at the LGBTQIA plus because I'm literally in there. I'm in the middle. I'm a Q. And it took me a long time to really understand what that meant for me. And I think I'm still exploring what that means for me because it changed. It's Mm. not defined. It's not solid and it's not stable. And I think it's really important for me to remember that because I do fit there and I do belong there. Yeah, it's still an exploration and still a learning. And I remember my my first relationship with a woman was we met at a festival, at an all-women's festival actually, and it was insane attraction at first sight. And we decided that we would get married at a festival in a month's time after that, even though we hadn't even started dating at this point. This was just a silly little flirtatious exploration. Oh my gosh. And we really went there. We then, we started dating and it was the most insane and physical attraction that I've ever had with anyone possibly. And it was interesting too, because I was in a relationship with a man at the same time as well. So I was navigating polyamory. I was navigating my first relationship with a woman and I was in my Saturn return. I was 27. Life was really big and really exciting. And I was really pushing the edges of my identity and my experience and really wanting to go there. I was like, this is my time to learn everything possible and do everything possible. So it was very exciting. And we did have a very over the top actual wedding. Like it was supposed to be a sort of joke, a sort of doof wedding, but it was really real and really special. And on the day, people just came out of the woodwork even my partner had a bridal party I was walked down to the dance floor by two people there was a celebrant someone played the didgeridoo for us and someone gave us this giant crystal that was the size of my arm and was so happy for us and actually I think we were both really high on acid but it was real like it was so extra and it was so over the top and it was so fun and it was real and it's just a fun memory and I still have people come up to me at festivals are you the woman that got married at this festival and I was like yeah that was me 
that was us. That was my first step into, yeah, I guess the queer community or having a relationship with someone the same sex as me. And it was a roller coaster, that's for sure. I have these ideas and I don't know where they come from of what queer is, that it looks like something or that I have to be wearing an oversized pastel jumper with like big gloves and have short hair and, and, be a certain way or be an activist. I have so much respect for people in the queer space who are activists and really speaking out. And I don't do that. I don't dress a particular way. And for some reason in my mind, I feel like I'm not queer enough, which is ridiculous. And I'm going to move through that. But I think it's great to identify this because I imagine that a lot of people have a similar experience and therefore I'm not sure what impact that is having on my life, but it's there. And so I would like to move through that. So that relationship lasted for nine months. At the same time, I was living with a male partner. We didn't see each other as much as we would like. And it didn't burn out that quickly, but it was super intense and it never really landed within ourselves. We never really landed in a deeper emotional place. I think it was novelty for both of us in some ways and definitely for me. And I felt in a way there was this novelty and perhaps because I was questioning myself or perhaps because I had some internalized homophobia going on as well and some self-judgment around that as well. And I was navigating a lot. I was in two relationships and I was really in love with this woman. And at the same time, still finding this electricity that never settled. And we were having a wild time. We were going to lots of festivals and lots of nightclubs. And so a lot of our relationship was centered around big experiences. We weren't alone that much together. So I decided that the relationship was over. I think for me, there was a big age difference. I am five years older and in our twenties, that was quite a dramatic difference. And so while the physical attraction was really strong and the love was really strong, it felt like the stage of life was incompatible and that it wasn't going to work for me. And also there was so much trauma between us and In the end, I just needed to step back and focus on my one relationship that I was in. But it was really hard because it was one of those relationships where, and I still love her so much, where you love someone so much, but it's almost doesn't make sense. Where you're like, I don't know why, especially because it was my first relationship as a woman. I was like, I don't know why I love you so much that I want to squish you into a tiny little ball. And I would try and rationalize it and it doesn't work. And sometimes that love isn't enough to make a relationship work and it didn't and it was chaotic and so I needed to step away and I did and it was sad but it was the right thing to do and we're still friends, we've supported each other over the years. That's the only relationship I've had with a woman I'm dating a woman at the moment and we dated a couple of years ago and we're dating again, which is exciting and nice. And I don't know exactly where it's going, but we're just taking things slow. I think last time it was super physical and that was exciting and electric. And this time I've recognized that I want to drop in on an emotional level. And maybe because of my last relationship with a woman, we didn't get to that deeper emotional level, but it feels important to me now. Many years later, that is something that we share together as a deep emotional connection before we move into all of the hotness that can be had 
And I think for me now, it's important to have an emotional connection if I'm going to have real intimacy. Like I can do physical intimacy with someone I don't have an emotional connection with, but it's not interesting. It's not deep. It doesn't feel connective. So for me now in my relationships, it's important for me to have a level of trust and a level of safety and a level of emotional connection and ability to communicate in order to be in a space of intimacy and for it to feel rich and delicious. Yeah, it's much more satisfying when that's there. I think when I speak about trust, I'm speaking about the ability to feel safe in a relationship. I trust that you're going to listen to my no and respect it. I trust that when I ask for you to do something different, you'll be able to hear me. It's basically having a sense of trust in the person that I can drop my layers and feel safe in the connection. I'm still, if someone looked from an outside perspective, I appear polyamorous. I don't necessarily identify with the term polyamorous because I feel like it then puts me into a box, a polyamorous box. At the moment I am relating. I was in a relationship with a man. He's beautiful and I love him and he's my best friend. And we were in a relationship for three years recently and I wanted to have children and he tried to want to have children with me, but ultimately he didn't. And we ended the relationship as it was, but we still love each other so much. We care about each other. We sleep together occasionally. He has other lovers and has since discovered that he's a relationship anarchist, which he is his favorite topic at the moment. <laughs> he talks about it a lot to me about what it means to him to be a relationship anarchist. And he's really found something in that for him, which is awesome. And for him, that's having friendships that are emotionally connective and deep and multi-layered and relating with friends in different ways, whether that's sexual or having a tactile relationship and it's not hierarchical. I'm open to different forms of relating. I think at this stage of my life, I'd really like to have a monogamous relationship. And at the same time, I'm quite scared of monogamy. I'm scared of it not being interesting enough. I'm scared of getting bored. I have ADHD, so I have a tendency to get bored easily. And also with ADHD comes something called rejection sensitive dysphoria. So with that, it can appear like boredom, but what I'm starting to recognize as I do more research on this is that it's actually my fear of rejection. That means I'm going to step out sooner than I would because I'm afraid of being rejected. And as I look back on relationships and the way that they've ended, which has been always with me, I wonder how much of that really is rejection sensitive dysphoria and me backing out sooner than maybe I needed or wanted to from a place of fear that masked itself as boredom and just gave me no feelings at all towards that person. So that's interesting to reflect on, but in terms of the way I relate, I'm just open to lots of different types of relating and also working with the person I'm in relationship with. So if the person I'm in relationship with at the moment, as we move towards potentially something more serious, I will consider where they're at and what they want. And that will influence how I relate and whether I relate with other people or not, but I'm not, 
attached to any particular way of relating. I'm not attached to being like, I am polyamorous or I am a relationship anarchist, but I do not necessarily, do I believe in monogamy? It looks nice. It's nice and I want to want it. And at the same time, I just really strongly feel like I can't own, I'm not saying that monogamous people own other people's bodies, but I just feel like I cannot tell you what you can and can't do with your body if you're in a relationship with me. And if you want to do something with your body with somebody else and that's true for you and we're honest about it, that feels like how could I tell someone no like how could I be like I'm sorry that makes me feel bad like you can't have that experience that doesn't feel correct to me so whether that makes me non-monogamous or not I don't know and just to add on to that I am at a point in my life where I am seeking monogamy and monogamy in a radical sense so there's this term that I heard radical monogamy and It speaks to choosing monogamy not because it's the default and not because what society has told us to do, but because we've looked at all of our options and explored what's available and thought, I'm going to commit to one person and that's what I choose to do. So I'm at a point in my life now where I'm ready for that and I'm excited about that. I do feel like my perceptions of the queer community have held me at arm's length and inhibited me from joining in I'm not sure what I would join in I'm in a queer book club I don't go to any of the events but I watch the messages roll through on my messenger (laughs) and but I do I feel like there's an identity there and something that I need to work through but I don't feel like I fit the mold and that has stopped me from feeling a sense of belonging that I would want to feel I don't necessarily feel like I need to belong I don't cry at night because I don't fit into the queer community and there's not times where I feel like I'm not allowed. Actually, that's not true at all. I was invited on a queer quest and a vision quest and I questioned. I've actually questioned a lot in my life. Am I queer enough to do that? Are you sure you're talking to the right person? And I was asked recently if I would facilitate a queer quest and I was like, oh, I don't know. Are they going to trust me? Are they going to believe I'm queer enough? And... Yeah, I think it is a common experience and I've been speaking to people about it very recently. And I also want to recognize that there is a privilege in passing as hetero and not fully identifying as queer and especially not until my very later life. It wasn't a question for me as a child or an adolescent. I didn't question my sexuality. I never actually questioned my sexuality. I never sat there and go, is this not? It was just like I was attracted to women and so then... I would date women. And I think it actually only became questions for me when I became attracted to gender non-binary people or trans people. And then I started to have some internalized stigma come up and I had to question in myself what's going on there and start to work through some things for myself. But I have never actually really given my queerness much of a thought, to be honest. So I don't feel excluded and at the same time I want to feel included. So there's a little bit of a division inside of me in how I feel about that. Do I think that society is more accepting of LGBTQIA plus people now than in the past? Absolutely. 
And I want to acknowledge that because so many queer, gay, trans people put their lives on the line to fight for their human rights and to fight for marriage equality and just to be seen. So I live in a very privileged time where, A, I'm privileged because I pass as hetero and I'm white and many other ways that I receive privilege but also that to be a queer person in this time is a lot easier for me than it has been in previous ages. I definitely feel so much more ease though with men like having been with more men over my life and I'm a sex worker and I work with men so there's there's just this naturalness and this ease when I'm flirting with a man or interacting with one and I love being with anyone other than men because there's this naturalness and this innocence that comes through and also because it's very different to my work life like I'm used to a particular body and touching a particular type of body a lot and being touched by a particular type of body so I'm with someone who's not a cis man there's a real beauty and innocence and I feel like a teenager and I don't know how to flirt or what to do when I try and talk to women and it's cute and exciting and just different and I think really important for me as well and I don't know why but for some reason it feels important in terms of my work and my work being mostly with men it feels like a point of difference and that I absolutely don't do it on purpose but it feels like if I'm dating a woman it's so different to my experience of working with men and especially because my work is so intimate and it takes a lot of me and asks a lot of my like personal nature and I think something that I really love about being with a woman is it does it differentiates my intimate life so much from my work life because my work life is so intimate and I'm having these intimate physical experiences with men sometimes when I'm with men in my personal life it can bleed over and I can find myself playing the role of the sex worker or playing the role of I'm leading or I have a role even to play Mm. in intimacy and I really try and check myself and not do that but even having to check myself and not do that can be tiring and when I'm with someone of a different sex or gender it feels like I don't have to do that I'm a lot less experienced and having that life experience is actually really nice because so often I feel like I'm the one with more experience in physical intimacy and so it's nice and relaxing to not feel that and nerve-wracking and I like feeling nervous about intimacy it's cute and spicy yeah So I came to Mount Alexander. I had been living in Melbourne for seven years prior to that and I never thought I would live in a city for that long. I never thought I would live in a city at all. I'd been living all over the world before that and immediately before that I'd been living in Aubrey, which is a smallish town on the Murray. And I... I just needed to leave. The sound of the city was getting so loud no matter where I went. It was just this constant thrumming on my being and I just knew that I needed to leave and I wasn't sure where it would be. I thought, oh, maybe Warrandyte or maybe Belgrave and then a friend slash colleague of mine at the time made a joke and said, I'm starting a, a share house in Guildford. 
you should come and move in. And I said, yes. And I am a spontaneous person and I do things. And she was a little taken aback and I'm not sure if she actually meant it or not. (laughs) We're best friends now, by the way. So it all worked out well. And so I did. I just, next week I came up and had a look at the house and it was beautiful on two acres on a hill looking over I could see Tarangawa and Lianganook and Laugenburg from my bedroom and it was such a stunning place and so I just very quickly and easily made the move out here I've been out here for four years now and I love it I feel I love the sense of community a real sense of community in the sense that I'm in community with people I wouldn't be friends with. And I think there's real growth points there. And that's what real community is as opposed to a community that's based on like my Melbourne community are very homogenous in the sense that if it's the dance community or the festival community, it's people that are in community based on shared values. And while that is true in, in many of the communities in Castlemaine, in Mount Alexander Shire, there's also more people in there because they live in the area, not just because we share values and then we have to navigate life together in that sense. And something I like about living here too is the multi-generational aspect. I have friends who are in their seventies and we go out, we, a friend of mine was going to India recently and we went to the pub for his going away party. And there were people in their early twenties through to their seventies. And it's not that's family. It's that this is our friendship group. And it's so nice. And I had a friend from Melbourne visiting and he was perplexed. He was like, this is interesting. I don't see this in Melbourne. And it was literally, I think we didn't have anyone in their fifties, but we had someone representing different ages and it was, it's really nice. I feel like more and more I am in a place where I'm living my authentic self and also being present to myself as I change and as I age and navigating that but I definitely do feel that and I don't think I've ever really felt too much of a problem with authenticity honestly except for when I get told I'm too loud or too much or too over the top and I need to tone it down and then I have spent some time trying to navigate how to be my authentic self in a way that other people feel comfortable I've had lots of conversations and lots of thoughts about this because it is important to me that other people feel comfortable. I'm not of the vein, like everyone can just go get stuff. I'm me and whatever, whatever that means is you have to work around it. I don't think that's fair. If someone's going to be very uncomfortable because I'm expressing myself in a particular way, then I want to check that because maybe in that particular space with that particular person, I don't need to do that. And I think there's a maturity in that. And it's a knowing of myself that I don't have to, my authenticity doesn't mean saying everything I think all the time and being unapologetically me because I actually care about other people and I care about their comfortability but not to sacrifice myself but there are times that are appropriate for me to be the big wild crazy epic yelling Sarah and there are times for me to sit back and listen and I've gotten to a point now where I know the difference and I can assess the scene and see what version of myself is needed and appropriate in that moment and be that. Yeah.
project was made possible with the financial assistance of Victoria's Pride Regional Activation Program and Midsummer Festival, and with the support of the Mount Alexander Shire Council, the Mount Alexander Shire LGBTIQA Plus Steering Group, and the Queer and Now Radio Program on Main FM 94.9. This podcast has been produced by the Queer and Now team, Shireen Clone and Amalie O'Hara at Main FM 94.9. Editing and original music by Amy Chapman. A big thank you to all participants for sharing their stories with such a wonderful generosity of spirit. If anything within this episode has been upsetting for you, please reach out and call the dedicated LGBTIQA plus helpline switchboard on 1800 184 527 or Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Kids Helpline 1800 55 1800.